I'm Georgine Huang, CEO and co-founder of Fairy God Boss, and this is Fairy God Boss Radio. Welcome to Fairy God Boss Radio. My name is Georgine Huang, and I'm the CEO of Fairy God Boss. And I'm so excited today to be talking with Missy Plor Memming, who is Senior Vice President of National Account Sales at MetLife. Missy, nice to be with you today. Can you tell me a little bit about yourself? Yeah. First off, thank you for having me here. It's really fantastic to be invited. My current role is I run National Account Sales at MetLife. And I've been with Met actually for 31 years. It sounds like a really long time, but I always tell people I've had nine distinct roles in my 31 years. So it feels like it's gone incredibly fast. And I think the interesting thing about my career, not unlike most people's career, is I never set out with the intent of being at MetLife, much less an insurance company. I actually went to school with the intention of being a physician because I really love to help people and achieve their goals and be supportive of them. But, you know, life has a way of taking its own winding path and turns. So I took a job at MetLife just with the intention of doing it for a short period of time. And I fell in love with what we do and the mission of what we do, which is really to provide financial safety net to those people we insure. And I've seen firsthand through deaths in the family, what a difference life insurance benefits make to those who remain, as well as incidences of disability where, you know, without disability income, there wouldn't be much for the family to go on. And I think it serves such a purpose. And I have such a passion for caring for people that I've never left. Wow, that sounds like you found your fit in one place, which is so heartening to hear. And it's very unusual these days. You know, a lot of the women in the Fairy Godboss career community are changing jobs every couple of years, looking for a place they can call home. Absolutely. Um, looking for an employer whose mission resonates with them. So that's wonderful to hear that you found that. This report that MetLife has just put out is really interesting in terms of talking about workplace trends and the changing needs of the workforce. So I'm very interested in hearing about your annual U.S. Employee Benefit Trends Study. Can you help us get a better understanding of some of the interesting findings in this report and what you think are some trends in the landscape? Yeah, yeah. Great question. The Employee Benefits Trends Study is a study we do every year. And just to give some context, we survey about 3,000 employers and about 3,500 employees across a wide range of sectors of employers, as well as across a wide range of size of employers, right? Because you know, working for a small business is different than working for a large multinational corporation. And over the last 20 years, we've accumulated annual data from this study. And really, we can see trends over the past two decades. And I will tell you, the number one trend that we've seen this year is less and less job satisfaction which is even more acute amongst women. And then the second trend, if you encapsulate it, is the need that employees want more flexibility and more choice. And, you know, Georgine, that really ranges from, I want 
a flexible work arrangement? Do I want this really wide array of benefit offerings and programs to choose from? And, you know, you think about traditional benefits like life insurance and dental and medical, but the landscape and benefits has gotten so big. It's, it's everything from PTO to lifestyle benefits, uh, reimbursement account for things like Peloton memberships, you know, as well as things that will really help create a financial safety net like accident insurance and hospitalization insurance and cancer insurance and legal coverage. So it really is so wide and it really represents how diverse the workforce is nowadays. It's so interesting that job satisfaction is at a low right now, and particularly among women. Job satisfaction is actually one of the questions that Fairy Godboss is very interested in and asks every woman who leaves an anonymous job review on our platform. So I wanted to dig into that a little bit. You mentioned that women are less satisfied with their jobs. And do you have any sense of why? Did the research cite anything? Our study did show that job satisfaction is at an all-time low, and it's across all sectors of employers, as well as all types of employees. Loyalty and job satisfaction is on the decline. And I think there are many factors that came out of our study that are driving this. Obviously, we've been through two years of a pandemic. We've had the great resignation. Obviously, the great resignation is putting more pressure on those who are left to do the work that those who vacated a position left behind. And then, of course, the last two years have created this ever-increasing amount of stress and anxiety. And so the number one factor we see is burnout. And amongst women, it's even more acute. So, Georgine, if you look at April stats, there were actually 181,000 women who left the workforce in April. And by the way, that compares to only 131,000 men, while the jobs increased by 428,000. So you've got this ever-increasing number of women leaving the workforce compared to men. And the number one reason they cite is stress and burnout. That's so interesting because at the beginning of the pandemic, women were leaving the workforce for reasons that people were attributing to, well, hospitality and retail industries were greatly affected and women tend to disproportionately represent the labor force in those industries or childcare and homeschooling caused a lot of working moms to have to leave the workforce. But now daycares are open, the world is opening up, and yet still women are the ones that are disproportionately dissatisfied, stressed, and burned out. So that is really unfortunate. (laughs) Just when we thought that the labor market was bringing more women back, we're still seeing that women are leaving. Yeah, between our study and like my own personal insights and all the female friends I have, in addition to anecdotally listening to podcasts like yours, Georgine, right? The stress and burnout is really the result of factors around women, right? It's a disproportionate share of caregiving and parenting that often falls on women, right? Women are often the hardest hit during periods like we've gone through in the last couple of years. And in fact, Our study actually shows 
that there is a heightened sense of lack of well-being amongst women compared to men and that females are really less likely to feel like they have options and choice and flexibility in their jobs, right? Think about what's going on right now with return to office and so many employers wanting their employees to return to office either on a everyday basis or on a hybrid basis. Women have a harder time with that now after being home, maybe getting rid of caregiving resources or making alternate arrangements, or frankly, even just feeling, you know, tied to the fact that they've been able to be so immersed in the caregiving as an example of their lives, that that their satisfaction with going back to the office continues to weigh on them mentally. And so I think for all of the employers out there, and obviously for all of us to discuss, it's how do we make women feel like they have more flexibility and actually embed that in the programs that are available to women to have balance between their work and life and have work-life management resources as a reason that they are dissatisfied or exiting the workforce. I see. So what do you think can be done if you're an employer seeing this exodus from your own company in terms of helping to retain the women or attract new ones that will actually stay and not feel this way? I think it depends on who you are as an employer, right? What is your business? How often do you need your employees at work? So, you know, as an example, if it's healthcare or retail or hospitality, those folks need to be there, right? They need to be on site doing those jobs. But there are things that our study has shown those employers can do, which is maybe rather than saying you need to be on a fixed schedule, you offer alternate work schedules. So rather than someone needing to come in nine to five, Monday through Friday, maybe they need nine to six, Monday and Tuesday, nine to eight, Thursday and Friday with Wednesday free, right? Just thinking more flexibly about work schedules when an employee actually has to be at work. For those people who can do a flex or a hybrid, it's about how much will you flex? Will you flex work hours? And then for both contingents, it's about how do you equip women, but frankly, all people, but women in particular, given our conversation with work-life management resources, employee assistance resources, right? EAPs are a really powerful tool to help people balance work and life because an EAP can help with those simple things like, hey, I got to go to work today and I need a dog walker because I can't leave my dog at home, right? They can help with those kind of things. They can help find emergency child care if your primary care is not available today. It's really about helping those women not only have more flexibility, but feel more control over how they manage work-life balance. And it is going to require such an immense level of creative thinking about how we have traditionally viewed the workforce and how we view the workforce today. 
Right. And part of, I think, the change in how we view the workforce today, given that there's so many more openings for talent that there are bodies to fill those seats, is how do you speak to maybe different groups and contingencies of people? So women do, in your study, seem to have different needs than men in general. Yes. I'm sure the same is true based on age or demographic or possibly race and other identities. So that's one change I'm seeing employers in our community realize that they have to speak to different groups of people with the benefits that resonate with them. One of the interesting things in the report that struck me was that women rate uh, paid leave or unpaid leave benefits more highly than men do in their top three choices. You know, yes. What do you think that's about? Is that related to flexibility and caretaking? I think it's definitely related to flexibility and caretaking. I also think, however, it's related to the value that women place upon these benefits. So certainly in the top three benefits, financial wellness tools rank very high paid and unpaid leave so that women feel job protection rank very high. But actually, Georgine, it's interesting. If you look at every benefit that women ranked in the top sector, so dental insurance, paid leave, vision care, um, cancer insurance, flexible spending accounts, and EAPs, as well as student assistance and loan forgiveness, women on all dimensions ranked those benefits as more important than men. And it's certainly a stereotype. I'm not big on stereotypes, but it's a reflection of this feeling traditionally that women have that they're responsible for, you know, the family's health and well-being and responsible to make sure that those needs are met. And it's interesting because more and more women are saying, I need my employer to care for me holistically. I need them to care for my holistic wellness. And, and Georgine, benefits is just an aspect of an employer's and an employee's desire for their employer to care for them holistically. Right. It's a canary in the coal mine, or it's an indicator yes. of the culture they're walking into or that they're going to choose to remain in. That their exactly. employer is considering their whole self, right? Mm -hmm. So bring your whole self yeah. to work. So care for my whole self when I'm at work. Yeah, exactly. And, you know, we at MetLife, we think about holistic wellness as financial wellness, your actual physical wellness, your, you know, spiritual wellness and your social wellness. And all four of those aspects are so important to people feeling like they're completely cared for. And certainly benefits is a huge part of that, but it's also about other programs, right? You think about the social well-being of people. It's about, do people feel like they have a good manager? Do they feel like they have an advocate or a friend at work, right? How do you connect your people culturally? And how do you support them from a benefits perspective? How do you support them from a pay perspective? There's really this sea change in how do you bring it all together so that employees who show up every single day. And to your point, like we tell people, bring your whole self to work. Well, then employees feel this responsibility that their employers have this responsibility to care for their whole self. Right. And I know that you are very big on the whole employee experience. 
So this is what yes. we're talking about, right? Like the aspects of your employees' experience go beyond what happens when they're either physically in the office or on the work site. And it includes the other responsibilities they may have. And as you said, although we hate to stereotype, I think those stereotypes are a function of social culture and the expectations that women and their families have of them, even with the most equal of partner at home. I know many couples who try, but still there's this inevitable gravitational pull to these gender stereotypes. And it's partially because of what schools do and communities and neighborhoods do to us in terms of like, who do you call when it's time to organize X or Y? So in terms of how to give benefits that will support the whole employee experience. What do you think employers and employees should be cognizant and look for when it comes to that whole employee experience? Yeah, it's such a great question. And first and foremost, I think any person, but particularly women, need to first look at what their employer offers them. Uh, the dimensions of mobility, benefits, and culture, and say, Am I getting what I need? We all need different things, Georgine, right? Like what makes me happy might not make you happy and vice versa. And as a person, you can look at your company's culture, the support you get from your manager and your upward mobility in your career, your lateral mobility and your benefits program and feel really thrilled with it. That is awesome. But if you look and you say, gosh, I'm really in need of this kind of support, then you should raise it with your HR team or your direct manager and say, hey, there's an opportunity here. And then for those employers who so desperately need women in the workforce across every segment of employer, you've got to think about, in my opinion, and our studies opinion, five things. First is, how are you creating flexibility and work-life balance for your associates or employees or, or team members? How are you providing a socially responsible and supportive culture? And to your point, how are you meeting people where they are in that culture? How are you meeting the needs of women? How are you meeting the needs of men? How are you meeting the needs of diverse individuals? And then third, how are you demonstrating to your employees that their job has a purpose and connecting what every employee does, regardless of level or salary, to the purpose of the company? And then fourth, how are you providing for career development and training for people? People want to grow in their roles. And by the way, that doesn't mean a bigger job title or more responsibility necessarily. It means I feel like I'm learning and growing every day, even if I'm growing in place. And then how is your training programs supporting that, of course? And then finally, how are you providing strong management support for your team members? Because study after study shows that the manager is actually most often the most important person to an individual employee. Does that make sense, Georgine? Absolutely. I think it's so interesting that what you've described captures what we think of as what makes an employer, what we call an employer of choice for a job seeker. 
right? Yeah. Like these are the things that job seekers want to hear, but they're also the things that will retain your employees if you can get them right. And no employer is perfect. So it's just about making strides and being conscious that there's multiple areas of employee experience and benefit investment that one needs to make. It's not going to be a silver bullet of a single policy or benefit change. Yeah. It's actually interesting you say that, this idea of continuous improvement. And there is an underlying aspect here of people have to understand what's available to them. So they have to be communicated to in a really clear and crisp manner that they can absorb. So you got to speak to people in their language because some of the best programs in the world, management programs or opportunities, may go undervalued if, as an employer, you're not communicating them, right? If you have to make people search through five links to find a program, people may not go through that process to search. So how do you offer great programs? How do you support people with financial wellness and physical wellness and social wellness and mental wellness, but then also How do you make it easy for them to use those programs that are available? Because you can have the best program in the world. If it's not utilized, no one's going to value it. A thousand percent. I am laughing because (laughs) we have this crowdsourced maternity and paternity leave database because so many companies make it so hard, even once you're an employee, to figure out what the benefits are, the qualification time that you have to stay at an employer before the benefit kicks in, how exactly you activated, how long is it, that we had people in HR using our database to understand what their own policies were. To your point, they're not going to get full utilization from their employee base if an employer isn't communicating very clearly or easily what the benefits are they can yeah. take advantage of. 100%. And to me, the saddest thing is a really great program. Embryo freezing, as an example, if it gets underutilized, an employer is going to think nobody's using it. So I'm going to take those dollars that I would have allocated for that program and move it somewhere else, potentially. When in reality, it's a great program. A number of people could use it. So how do you just make it easier for people to understand that the benefit's available? It's often the biggest hurdle. So we started this conversation by you talking about staying at MetLife for over three decades. And clearly one of the reasons that was that you found that you worked for an employer with purpose. You know, you talked about how caretaking was very important to you and how MetLife does that through its work, which is actually one of the five things you mentioned in terms of what makes for a great whole employee experience. If we think about what you've seen at MetLife, What programs has MetLife implemented that help support women at the company? Is there anything you want to highlight there? Yeah, it's a great question. So Georgine, I have to say first, I was 10 when I started at MetLife. Um, So (laughs) Intern. Exactly. But in all seriousness, MetLife does an awful lot to support women. I actually want to start with something that's closest to me. I mentioned that I run um, the National Accounts Sales Organization. And one of the things we have done, and believe it or not, we actually started it, um, I think almost a decade ago, where we saw an underrepresentation 
of women in the sales organization. So we actually started a program called Women in Sales, and we bring together women who are sales folks in our organization, as well as some partners who have an interest in sales into an annual program. So think of it as two to three day offsite with really outstanding speakers who are external, all focused on how do women build their career? And then also focused on how do we create this community of women who, who feel like they can rely on each other in what is traditionally a male-dominated area, right? Most uh, salespeople in the insurance sector tend to be men. Now that's changing, by the way, but still pretty dominated by men. And so how do we create this community so women feel like they have partners and sounding boards they can turn to? I love that you started with your story about women in sales because we see so many companies trying to attract more women and sales is definitely one of the areas that remains underrepresented when it comes to women. And the fact that you organize something to make it better for the next generation of women coming up is a huge testament to you personally and your commitment because it takes every individual, quite frankly. It's great that there is these global DEI councils and goals. I think it sets the right tone and the framework for these actions, but it is a lot of leadership behavior that ends up changing the culture and bringing more women into the fold or people who are from underrepresented backgrounds. And we do need more role models, particularly since, as we discussed earlier, women are dissatisfied with their jobs yeah. right now, yeah. historically yeah. dissatisfied and are leaving. So yeah. You know, let's talk about what are you doing as a woman role model and leader and seeing the results of this study? Has this changed anything for you? And what would you encourage others in a similar position of sort of power and privilege to do if you can? Yeah, it's a really great question. I will tell you every year that I get the study, right? I, I read it. I read it again because it can take a little while to absorb. And then I always think about it through like two lenses. First, obviously, our customers, both our employer-sponsored customers and the employees we serve. What is this telling me about what they need and what they're feeling? And how can we adapt our products and services to continue to meet those needs? And then I switch to my employees, right? MetLife's employees. What does this tell me about what we're doing and could do differently? And I always think about it from like a personal leadership perspective, Georgine. I manage a pretty large team and they're incredible professionals. And I always want to make their jobs more purposeful and more fulfilling. And so I think about the survey feedback in those contexts. And so what have I done recently? During the pandemic and now, and supported by the study, I've been much more communicative with my uh, direct reports and the rest of the team on everything from how are you doing personally, caring for them as people, staying in touch with what's going on in their lives and you know, making sure I'm caring for them as people, 
And then also talking about purpose. We ask a lot of our team members, I think every employer does. And now what is increasingly evident to me is that we need to help connect what we're asking, what's the company asking a given individual to do or a given team to do, to why. There's this great saying of you have to win the hearts of people and the minds of people. And after I read the study this year, it like was a light bulb of one of the things the study is saying is people want to be cared for as whole people, which means you need to care for their their hearts and their minds because no person is just the brain or just the heart. We're both. And so that was like my biggest aha and the biggest change in how I approach my team and think about my team. You know, tactically, it's more town halls, it's more communications, short, obviously, so that it's digestible, but just being clear about what's available. I will tell you the other thing we have done, and this is really funny to say as a group benefits company, but we have traditionally relied on our HR benefits team to communicate benefits. For the first time this year, we've actually started in all hands meetings, highlighting a benefit. We did a highlight of a mental health wellness and then a benefit that directly supports mental health. And we did it both in a WebEx meeting, right? And then also sending it out via email because, right, different people, not everyone's going to make the webcast. Some people like to read material and not listen. And I will tell you, I think it's the topic that has gotten the most employee response to anything we've ever done. That's amazing. And I think it really ties together what we were discussing earlier, which is that that's about your culture, a signal about the culture to recognize that it's mental awareness month last month, and then say, here's what we're doing about it. It's not just some administrative function for an HR person to put into a packet for new employees. It's something we want you to take advantage of and want us to all be speaking about. I think that's a great example of how you incorporate benefits into a cultural and whole employee experience. And it it was interesting. There was an employee who sent me an email afterwards and said, thank you for recognizing that we're whole people, not just addressing the business stuff, which is really important, but addressing the people stuff. It was just such an epiphany in many ways. Right. Well... I have learned so much from you in this conversation. And we like to wrap up these conversations with a few quick fire questions to get to know you a little bit better. So if you don't mind, we're going to start with what's your favorite way to practice self-care? We've talked about how companies can help people with self-care. What about yourself? I go on meditation walks. I found meditation a few years ago, actually, through a friend. And for me, sitting still to meditate is a little challenging. So I found this practice of meditation walks. And I will tell you, in terms of me personally, it really helps me to be more level and not stressed and center myself around what's most important for the day ahead. I love the meditation walk because I, like you, have trouble sitting still. We are on a podcast today, but what book or podcast might you recommend to our audience? 
I am a voracious reader and a voracious podcaster. So I read like a book a week, uh, generally speaking. And because I love books so much, I find that my last book is always my favorite book. One of my all-time favorites is Good to Great. Uh, but one yes. of the books that I've read recently that I really, really love is No Rules Rules. It's a book about a major company that we all know and how they have said those traditional corporate rules, we think it's kind of bogus. And we're going to make up rules that make sense. And in some instances, we aren't going to have rules because we're going to rely on people's common sense. I just think it's such a freeing way to think about leadership, quite frankly. And then one of my favorite podcast is 10% happier. Thank you for sharing that. At Fairy Godboss, you know, as a women's community, we see that a lot of women don't feel comfortable speaking up about themselves, particularly in the workplace that results in not getting noticed and promoted and all the good things that come with sort of tooting your own horn. So we like to practice this with everyone that we meet, particularly very accomplished women like yourself. So what's something that you're proud of that you'd like to share with everyone listening today? Well, so Georgine, I'm still practicing this skill myself because like most women, I'm not overly comfortable, but here's what I will tell you I am most proud of. I've mentioned that I've been at MetLife a long time and traditionally I have been in account management, client services, operations roles. And early in my career, I had this great boss, male boss actually, who said, Miss, I think you can be anything you want to be at this company. What do you want to do long-term? And I said to him, I'd love to run a service organization someday. But keep in mind, I'd been at the company maybe two or three years when he was having this conversation. And so he sat me down and he took a legal pad and flipped it sideways and said, well, here's all the skills you're going to need to get that job eventually. And here's all the kinds of roles that you're going to need to have. And one of the roles was uh, an account executive, which in MetLife vernacular is a sales executive. So I proceeded to sort of work my plan to someday be the head of service for one of our markets at MetLife and took all the jobs. And eventually I had a great boss who said, you're ready to be an account executive. I was super nervous about it, but I took it. I was wildly successful beyond anything I could have fathomed. It's actually the longest job I've ever had at MetLife. I was an AE for seven years and loved the client work, loved the problem solving work. But after doing that job for a fair period of time, I went back to kind of operations and account management roles. And about seven or eight years ago, I actually fulfilled my dream of becoming the head of service at MetLife. And to tell you... I always feel so honored to have held that job. It's a true understatement. But my boss, who is an incredibly supportive individual, came to me in October of 2020 and said, Miss, I want you to run the sales organization. And I was like, you want me to do what? I think you can do it. You've got everything you need. And so end of 2020, I took the job that I have now running the sales organization. And I will tell you, one, I have an awesome team who every day teaches me things, but it's been scary because it's not my comfort zone. My comfort zone is account management, problem solving and process type work, but it's been awesome. 
Yeah, and you were an AE for seven years. So clearly you've done every job. That's well, so you. wonderful. That's thank so wonderful. Last but not least, any final words you'd like to leave our audience with? We started by talking about this awesome and very in-depth report. So please, before you leave, also share where they can find and read this report. Thank you for mentioning that. So first off, it's a fantastic report, particularly if you're an employer or you're a benefits person, you have a responsibility for either setting benefits direction, implementing benefits programs, or even if you're just an HR manager or a people manager and really want to get more into what makes your employees tick and what are they worried about right now along those dimensions of physical health, financial health, mental health, and social health. So you can find the study at metlife.com backslash EBTS. In terms of final comments, Georgine, what I would say is, particularly to the women on this podcast, is you're all so much better than you probably think you are. And you deserve to have the benefits programs and the support at your employer that you need. And so don't be afraid to bring your whole self to work. And then advocate for those things you need by by talking to your manager, by talking to your HR team. Certainly, they can't move mountains overnight, but the more you speak up and say something, the more they will do to move those mountains and make programs available to you. And then the second thing I would say is purpose is everything. So find your purpose in the work you're doing. Find how it connects to what makes you tick and you'll never work a day in your life. Thank you, Missy. What a wonderful way to wrap up. Thanks, Georgine. It was a pleasure. Thanks for joining us today on Fairy God Boss Radio. Don't forget to subscribe, rate, and visit us at fairygodboss.com. See you next time.